Friends, um, this morning, if I were to ask you what your motto in life is, what would you say? Motto is a philosophy of life that you wish to adapt your life to. It explains your passion in life and expresses the purpose of a person. Um, uh, here are two that I've read recently. It says, live your life with power, with passion and purpose. Here's another one. <clears throat> Dream, believe, act and achieve. Nice mottos. But if this question were asked us, what answer would we give? Or if people around us, our fellow workers, fellow members in the church, uh, were to observe us, uh, would they see us as people who live purposeful lives? I'm guessing there are people seated here this morning who are living purposeful life, and they want to be encouraged, or they want to be corrected. And I hope this, this word that we look at this morning would do that to your souls. Um, there, it's also possible that some of us are living uh, purposeless lives. And I hope that God's word would challenge us this morning and would cause us to leave today, today's service as people who want, who desire to live a purposeful life, not a purposeless life. Um, what I want to do this morning is for all of us to, to uh, frame a purpose statement. Um, Every Christian has a purpose in life. And that purpose is God-given. Um, and for us to understand this, I want to draw your attention to a person uh, who was very clear about his purpose in life. Uh, he is none other than Paul. Um, right now, as we look at this text, this is Philippians chapter 1, uh, our man is in the prison for the sake of the gospel. He is in chains for Christ. So the church at Philippi has shown, had shown their love to Paul by sending him a gift along with a man named Epaphroditus. And so Paul sends him back with a thank you letter to this church. But in this thank you letter, Paul also notes down his purpose in life. And I hope that as we study through this text, our hearts are challenged and encouraged to consider Living for Christ as our greatest purpose in life. Um, so we're looking at Philippians chapter 1 this morning and verses 21, specifically from verses 21 to 26. Philippians chapter 1 verses 21 to 26. Uh, let me read the text for you um, first. So I'm reading verse 21. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Verse 22, now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Verse 26, so that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Um, so my sermon today has three points. Number one, 
um, the purpose of the Christian life, and that's in verse 21. Number two, we have the meaning of this purpose statement, and that's in verses 22 to 25. So one, the purpose of the Christian. Two, the meaning of the purpose, which is in verses 21, 26, and 26. Uh, verse 26 is the third point, the goal of the Christian life. Um, so let's look at point one, which is from verse 21, the purpose of the Christian life. Now Paul is not sure about the verdict that awaits him, yet um, whether it is life that's ahead of him, of him or whether it's death that awaits him, he desires that Christ will be honored in his body, whether by life or by death. That's in verse 20. And he repeats the same thing again in verse 21. Um, this time in a different way. He says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's interesting that in the original language, the words to me is placed at the beginning of the sentence. And Paul does that on purpose. Um, he wants to draw the reader's attention to his own personal understanding of life and death. So here's what he says. Look, I don't know about you guys, but as far as I am concerned, as far as I am concerned, if I'm going to live, it is going to be for Christ. Living is Christ for me. If I, and if I'm going to die, it is profit for me. It is gain. But, but what does he mean when he say that I want to live for Christ. If I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Christ. Well, it means that he wants to live his life centered on Christ. But he knows that his new life began with knowing Christ and continues because Christ empowers him now. So that now when he lives, he lives his life occupied with Christ in the sense that everything that Paul does, like everything, proclaiming the gospel, Defending the gospel, getting chained for the gospel, planting churches, discipling people, loving people through correction, admonition, and even making decisions in life. All these things are inspired by Christ and for Christ. Or as one scholar rightly says, for Paul, Christ gives meaning, inspiration, direction and purpose to existence so much so that life is summed up in Christ. It was impossible for Paul to think of life apart from Christ. I want to use an illustration to help you understand this better. I want us to think of the sun and the planets in our solar system. Have you ever thought of what would happen if the sun went missing? Well, firstly, because of the sun's immense mass, it, the sun draws all the planets around the sun toward it. That's why we are revolving around the sun. So if the sun went missing, all the planets in the solar system would be flying off into the space. Well, that means that we earthlings would be lost in space pretty soon. That's not all. In nine minutes, we'd find ourselves in complete darkness. You know why? Because the moon wouldn't reflect any light for us. Without the sun's warmth, the earth would be a cold place too. A colder place. Well, for those of us here in Dubai, I know we love that. But, 
But within a year, the temperatures would dip to minus 73 degrees centigrade. That's not good news for us. Without the sun's rays, all photosynthesis on earth would stop, all plants would die, and eventually all animals that rely on food, including humans, would die too. You and I can hardly think of life without the sun. Paul is making a similar point. I can hardly think of life without Christ. Would that be a confession this morning? I can hardly think of life without Christ. Would that be our testimony? Oh, oh, that life without Christ is meaningless for me. It's purposeless. But why would Paul be so passionate about Christ? Why is what makes Christ so special that Paul would say, look, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Christ. And if I'm going to die, it's profit for me. You don't hear human beings talking like, why would he talk like that? Well, I think the answer is in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. Paul answers us. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because... We have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, Paul's life was so attached to the gospel. Well, the gospel says that Jesus died for our sins. And the death of Jesus is so special, is so important that in the two verses that we just read, his death is mentioned three times. It is the death of Jesus that saves us from the tyranny of sin, from the oppression and from the domination of sin. And so when we believe in Jesus, his death becomes our death too in that Christ's death brings about a death to myself. It puts self-centered living to death. It causes us from living for self to living for the Savior. So there's, there's this new life, a new way of living because of Christ's death. And in this new life, Christ's love takes hold of us and compels us to live for Him and not for ourselves. If that's the case, and that is the case, Christ's love is liberating. It frees us from living for self. Only the love of Christ can cause sinners to live for Christ. That's why Paul says, as far as I'm concerned, to live is Christ. And so this, this, gospel, this, this transformation in Paul's life is gospel transformation. Think about it. A Christ-hater has become a Christ-herald. A Christ-persecutor has become a Christ-preacher now. A person who dragged people into prison for the sake of their faith now is in prison for the sake of his faith in Christ. This change is gospel-formed. If you can hear Paul say in the prison that his life is all about Christ, that's because the gospel has transformed him to confess that Jesus is enough. Is enough. Paul ends verse 21 by saying, to die is gain. 
it's, it's a management word that he uses. It's profit to die. It is profit to die. Friends, death is gain only to people whose life is about Christ. Death cannot be a loss for such people because death does not separate us from Christ. Death takes us to Christ. But death is a loss. It is a loss if life is not about Christ. Death is a disadvantage to us if Christ is not our life because death takes us away from Christ and you don't want to be away from Him. What awaits us is the wrath of God apart from Christ. Friends, if there is anyone here seated this morning, um, this church who does not know this Jesus, who has not turned from their sins and their self-centered, self-absorbed life and has not placed their faith in the saving work of Christ, I will plead with you today to consider what Jesus has done for you. His death gives hope to the sinner because Jesus has died for our sins. Death is gain. It is a loss. It is a separation if Christ is not our life. But for those of us who know Jesus, who call Jesus our Savior and as our Lord, brothers and sisters, may I ask you to look at verse 20, 21. And I want to ask you, what is your life focused on? What is your life centered on? And, and as I was looking at this text yesterday, I'm trying to answer that question. I think Paul himself answers that question for us so that our lives are challenged. If you look at the book of Philippians, there are three things that we see for us to consider what life centered around the gospel or life centered around, the, uh, centered around Christ actually means. Number one, if your life is centered around Christ, you will share the gospel. Look at chapter one. Our man is in chains. The world has shut the doors for Paul to share the gospel. You can't shut this guy's mouth. You can chain this guy. You cannot change God's gospel from reaching the people. Suffering will not stop him from sharing the greatest message that human beings need to hear. That's the gospel. And why does Paul do that in chapter 1? Because he knows that the message he has... This treasure in earthen vessels, this message has the power to save people, to rescue people, to deliver people from their sins. How can you not tell people this message? Because it's a message concerning their destiny. Life centered around the gospel, around Christ, will share the gospel too. I know, I'm sure you all know this verse. Rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4. Uh, he's in the prison. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice because of who Jesus is. Look, Peter is, not in, Peter is in the prison and he's not grumbling. He doesn't say, God, listen to me carefully. I've been doing all this work thus far. I've been planting churches. This is my second missionary journey. And I planted this church. 
I've been sharing the gospel to, I don't know how many people. I've been persecuted for your sake. Give me some red carpet here, Jesus. Give me some crowns. I need a throne to sit on. You haven't done any of those things. He never says that. Do you know why? Because the sufferings of this present age are worth nothing. Nothing compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us in eternity because of Jesus. Chains don't matter. Christ matters. So you rejoice. Even when you suffer. And thirdly, you boast in Christ. That's in chapter 3 of Philippians. We are familiar with the whole chapter. But, but Paul's, Paul does not boast in his achievement while he's in the prison. Not in his ministry. Not in his sermons. Not in his giving. Not in his suffering for Christ. Not in his past career. Not in his theological education. Not in his personality. Not in the sufferings he has made for the church. He says, I boast in Christ. Period. I have nothing else to brag about. And that's a, a good question to consider. What are the things that we boast about today? Even as we sit here in the church, whether we are at home, whether we are at work, whether we are with the children, with our wives, what are the things that we are most focused on? Things that we like, things that excite us. Um, I, want, I want to encourage the church here to consider Christ. And to ask ourselves, are our lives really centered around Christ? If there's anything that's keeping you from, from living for Christ, from seeing Christ as glorious, it may be an unhealthy relationship or an unhealthy pursuit of wealth or career. I want to encourage you to ask God to help you see Christ as more glorious than any of these things. For when we see His glory... Life is worth the living. So Paul has just said that his life is all about Christ. But how does it look like in everyday life? How does it look like? What does purposeful living look like for a Christian? So he gives a commentary from verses 22 to 25. This is our second point. The meaning of the purpose. There are two options that Paul presents in these three verses. To live or to die. He says in verse 22, if I'm to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So living for Christ means fruitful labor for me. Uh, Paul will come back to this expression and explain it in a few minutes. But before he does that, he shares an inner struggle with the church at Philippi. He's not sure what to choose between the two options. There's the choice of life and then there's the choice of death. And he's hard-pressed between the two. Actually, the word is he's squeezed. <laughs> There's a strong compulsion from both ends to live and to die. There's the compulsion to work for Jesus, work that would bear fruit. But then there's also this great desire to be with Christ. Death is not the end of the story for a Christian. It is a departure from life on earth to rest in heaven. I believe it's a glorious transition from being with people on earth 
to being with Christ and His people in heaven. I believe it's, it's, it's this glorious transfer from laboring for Christ to resting with Christ. And that's why Paul says, oh, that's by far better. And he desires that so much. He wants to be with Christ. His life, his joy, his glory, his strength, his delight, his treasure, and his goal is Christ. Church, may being with Christ and resting with him be our greatest desire. But Paul isn't done yet. He comes back to explain what he has just said about fruitful labor in verses 24 and 25. The tension ends. You see, he says, living for Christ is more necessary for the sake of the church. There's these two expressions in verses 23 and 24, much better and much necessary. Well, they carry the same weight in this passage. Um, these desires have the same intensity and meaning. And so he's actually trying to say, I cannot make a choice. So Paul isn't here to sacrifice heaven for earth. He isn't here to sacrifice Christ for the people on earth. Paul doesn't decide to labor here. God does. God decides for Paul. It is God's decision that Paul will be with people and Paul will assist, therefore, as God sovereignly opens doors for Paul to meet with them. And open doors means fruitful labor for Paul. What does that mean? Verse 25 answers that question. Fruitful labor means remaining with people for their progress and joy in the faith. Remaining with people for their progress and joy in the faith. So fruitful labor is labor that bears fruit. Well, it is not the work that bears fruit. It is the word that bears fruit. And so in the prison, Paul is busy proclaiming the gospel to all the guards. Chaining Paul will not chain God's gospel from reaching people. Then faithful labor is work that faithfully brings the word of God to people so that they are brought to Christ, but they're also built up in Christ. It is asking people to embrace the gospel and encouraging gospel growth in people. It means you and I lovingly proclaim the gospel to people so that they know God. It means joyfully assisting them so that they grow in their faith. It means exhorting church members with great patience, with super compassion, encouraging each one in the church and urging them to walk in a manner worthy of God. It means proclaiming Christ to everyone, warning everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that they mature in Christ. It means church members will be burdened till they see Christ formed in their brothers and sisters. They'll be burdened till they see people come to know Christ. That's fruitful labor. It means we go out into the world and tell the world the most important message. We are all sinful people. Marked by disobedience, slaves to various passions and pleasures, dead to God and therefore deserving God's wrath. But the grace of God has appeared to all of us in Jesus Christ, bringing salvation. This grace, this gospel alone saves us from lostness in sin 
to life in God. The gospel tells us that we are dead apart from Christ. But we can have life because of Christ. But the gospel doesn't end there. The gospel trains us. It trains us to deny ungodliness and worldly passions now and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This gospel bears fruit. That's why you're here. It brings people to Christ and it builds people in Christ. But interestingly, Paul says progress in the faith and joy in the faith. So fruitful labor isn't labor that desires progress. It also desires joy in the faith. There is joy when people see Christ clearly and for real. Romans 5. Paul says we are enemies of God. We are ungodly people. But, and we are people who deserve God's wrath. And so he goes on in verse 11 to say, but we, we've had this reconciliation because of Christ and his death. So we rejoice in this. Salvation brings joy. Growth also brings joy. First Peter chapter 1. Peter writes to the persecuted Christians in the early church. And there are quite a, quite a lot of churches that he's writing to in, chapter, in, in First Peter. And as he writes, he says, we are aliens here. And we are exiles here. So we are not going to be here for long. Therefore, in light of the glorious eternity with God, the grief that we experience here is for a little while. Rejoice in this. So as the churches progress in their understanding of who God is, the richness of His salvation, and the hope there is, in, the hope there is for us in eternity with Jesus Christ, joy abounds. This is fruitful ministry. It is ministry that desires salvation of sinners. And it is the ministry that desires progress and joy in the faith of fellow brothers and sisters. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, what do you wish for your fellow brothers and sisters? As you look at them, as you meet with them regularly. Do we wish for their progress and joy in the faith? Do they know what we wish for them? Do we ache to bring people to Christ? Evangelism is one of the marks of a true Christian. You, have, you want to talk about the Jesus who saved you. Do we take time to be, our fellow, to be with our fellow church members, to build them up in Christ and to see them mature in Christ? Friends, do we enjoy discipleship relationships? Jesus calls disciples to make disciples. And as church members, we want to consider how we can encourage one another to walk with Christians. Now we need to remind each other of the gospel that we Christians have hope as sinners. So I want to suggest a few things you and I can do this week as we think of fruitful labor. Number one, consider the gospel. Now I understand that because of sin in us, we struggle to take the initiative to move toward people, to reach out to people. 
because being with people is tough, is hard, consider the gospel. Go to 2 Corinthians 5 and meditate on that. Do you know why? Because the gospel over there says gospel transforms our desires for people. Meditate on what Jesus has done for us. The love of God will compel us to move to people. Two, consider the church. We need to see the church not as a club. The church is not a club. It's a community of God's people who need each other to grow. We don't grow in independence. We grow in dependence. Listen, the church is made of needy people. Everyone here are needy people. The church is made of needy people who reaches out to needy people and pointing the attention of needy people to Christ. But while the needy people point the attention of these needy people to Christ, the needy people understand that they are also in need of Christ. The church consists of needy people. Don't stay away from church members. You and I cannot grow in isolation. Involve in intentional conversation. As you talk to people, ask them what you can pray for. Just... Ask your brother and sister, hey, I would love to read God's word with you. You want to catch up some, at some place, Starbucks? If you don't like coffee, some tea shop. Let's just read the Bible. Let's just pray for each other from the Bible. Read, reading God's word and praying God's word bears fruit. Because it is God's word. Third, consider your family. Fathers and mothers here, take time to be with your children. Talk to your children about Christ and His glorious work so that the hope of our children rests in Christ. Not in career, not in education, not in their personality, not in their talents, but in Christ. Husbands and wives, take time to invest in each other's life. Remind each other how much you, 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 the spouses need Christ. Remind each other, feed on the words of Christ. John chapter 6, this is fruitful labor. It brings progress and joy in the family. Fourth, consider your neighbors. Um, As you think of your neighbors, what's your wish for them? What do you desire for them? Is it a good morning wish or good evening wish or a good night? Or is it, oh, I would love for them to know Jesus. May your hope in Christ be contagious as you think of your neighbors. Invite them over to your house. Host lunch. Host dinner. Breakfast. Um, show them what, how God has transformed your life. And share with them the gospel. And lastly, Pray. Pray, brothers, none of us want to do this without trusting in God. Ask the Lord to open doors for that we can share the gospel to these people. Paul asked for prayers. He tells the church in Ephesus, please pray for us. Tells the church in Colossians, Colossae, please pray for us. Please pray that God would open the doors. I mean, this guy is the apostle. He's, he's seen the Lord. The Lord has revealed to him and he says, pray for me so that the message would be clearly shared. I need courage. I, I can get scared. So I want you to pray for us. This is Paul's saying. And it must be true of us too. Fellow brothers and sisters, hold each other accountable. Have you been praying for gospel opportunities 
Have you been sharing the gospel with someone? Why is it that you're not sharing? Let me pray with you. Let me pray that God would encourage you and strengthen you and give you boldness. This is what fruitful labor looks like. I hope that, uh, you know, as we go back today and as we consider this passage, our, go- our hearts seriously desire the salvation of people and the growth of our members in the church. And lastly, the goal. The goal of the Christian life. This is verse 26. It was to this end that Paul served people. You see, Paul did everything in response to God's love for him. And God's love compelled him to to move toward people, to help them see the glory of Jesus Christ. And at the end of it all, after all that he has done, this is what he desires. Verse 26. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. So Paul's aim is that because of him, the church at Philippi would have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. I mean, look at his heart, brothers and sisters. He desires the progress and joy in the faith of those at Philippi so that they take pride in Jesus Christ, not in Paul. It means that Paul wants the church to have great reasons to glory, to boast, and to exult in Jesus Christ because of his ministry to them. Paul wants people to worship Christ because of his ministry. That's what he wants. The the reason they would glory in Christ is because of the message that Paul has for them. It is the message of Christ, his person, his life. His death, His resurrection, His promise, His faithfulness, His presence, His return, and an eternity with Him. Paul has no other message to offer but Christ. And, and because of this, Paul will not be the one who gets the glory in the church. It will be Christ. Paul wants that his ministry in the church will cause people to pursue Christ. To prize Christ and to proclaim Christ. And that glorifies Christ. Paul, Paul desires that Christ looks big. Christ looks big in his ministry to people. So much so that, his minist- that, that through his ministry people glory in Christ. The, this, this is the goal of Christian life. To make Christ look big. Glorious magnificent and awe-inspiring, so much so that everything else looks infinitely small compared to the glory of Christ. And when that happens, you will hear people confess. As far as I'm concerned, to live is Christ. Dying is gain. It's gain. Brothers and sisters, Does your fellow church member glory in Christ because of you? Does your participation in church life result in the worship of God? Do do people get to hear of Christ from us? Do we encourage our brothers and sisters to consider Christ? Do we point them to Christ? Do we woo them to Christ? Do we enjoy talking about our hope? In Christ? Do we love to talk about the work of Christ? The faithfulness of Christ? The presence of Christ? And His return? And an eternity with Him? 
When we do that, people boast in Christ. Pray. Church, pray. Pray earnestly that our eyes will see more of Christ's glory. So much so that such vision moves us to help other people see the glory of our risen King. Do I know that in many ways we do involve in ministry in our church? We do that. But in our ministry, do we see glory? Do we wish for recognition from people or even from the pastor? Do we tend to think that without us, this ministry cannot happen? Do we tend to think in our hearts, if only they saw the value of what I do in the church? That's glory-seeking. In fact, that's glory-stealing. But Jesus died for glory-seekers and for glory-stealers like you and me. He gloried in His Father and brought His Father glory by dying for our sins. Remember his work. His work will one day bless us with a glorious eternity with God. Friends, what is your purpose in life? As you contemplate on God's costly love for you, God's purpose for you now, and his promises for your future because of Christ, will you confess like Paul this morning? As for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. May God work in our hearts and cause us to live purposeful, Christ-centered lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love toward us in Jesus. We thank you for everything that Jesus has done for us. He died for our sins. And he has given us life. And he has also promised to come back and, to t and take us to be with him. To rest with him. To enjoy his glory for all of eternity. Thank you. We are not people who deserve these things. So we pray that being rooted and grounded in his love we may have strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth of Jesus' love toward us. So that being controlled by His love, we will live for the good of the church and the glory of Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.